you have your Bibles with you, please open them to John. We'll be continuing on in John chapter 19 together. We've been taking the last while walking through John, uh, John's accounts of Jesus' life here, and now we're here. Last week we took a look at, not last week, this week on Sunday, uh, we took a look at Jesus' death. And we saw very clearly that to see this is not some sort of accident. Every step, every inch of the way that Jesus walked down that street on the way to Golgotha was not a mistake. We even read that today as we were in Isaiah 53, that it was the will of the Father that he would be crushed for our iniquities. There was no accident. Not one part of this. As we even continue on in 19, as we see Jesus' side pierced and and how he is buried has been an accident. And we see that final act even back in verses 28 to 29 where Jesus said, knowing that all was now finished. This was the time, the exact moment that Jesus gave up of his spirit. He breathed his last breath as he cried out, it is finished. And we looked at that, what that means. Like paying off a student loan or your mortgage. He gave up his spirit. As we saw in John 10, 17 to 18, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. And no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again this charge I have received from my father one of the things that we need to take a look at as we continue to worship our awesome God together are these things as we reflect upon and John wants us to see something very clear we have seen very clearly throughout John that God is sovereign that he is providential that this is not an act and it's not a mistake Jesus not Jesus is not a victim he is the director the narrator the producer of this narrative every part of it is his but John also wants us to see something very important that this doesn't come without a cost. That the cost of our salvation is deep. It was a lot. As we see Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God, the one whom all things were created through, who was uh, the Word of God at the very beginning, who created everything, he dies on a cross by the hand of the people he created. And John wants us to see that this was costly. And we'll see what that means for us today. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be starting at verse 31. John 19, verse 31. The word of the Lord says this. Since it was the day of preparation, and so the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him, with Jesus. 
But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. He knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloth with the spices as, it, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for today. Uh, I get to come to church with God, your people, twice this weekend and to reflect upon who you are and what you've done for us. Open up our hearts and our minds to what your word has to say to us. Lord, I pray that you would convict by your word where needed, that you would comfort us where needed, that we would be spurred on to the good works that you've called us to because of what we see here. And Lord, as I preach your word, Lord, there's no way that I can do this on my own, so God, may you make this turn out well. So by your spirit, Lord, I pray that you would use this sermon for your glory, for the joy of your people, and the salvation of the lost. And amen. In verses 31 to 37, we simply see that the lamb is pierced. Jesus is now dead, and now they will pierce his side. It is a day of preparation, and Jesus and his disciples would have eaten the Passover meal on Thursday. I had this conversation with my kids yesterday, and they're like, wait, when was the last meal? I was like, well, today, technically. You know, and tomorrow, which was today, is when we crucify Jesus. He was the, arrested the same night and kept up all night going to all of those fake trials, those kangaroo courts, and then they crucified him on the Friday. And we talked about that on Sunday, the agonizing pain that our Lord and Savior went through. And, and to be honest, we, we, I think for many of us, if you've been to so many Good Friday services, we kind of become callous to these things. And please do not allow your heart to become callous to the truth of what we see here, that God stepped down from his throne to die for you. As he was there, but this is now the day before the Sabbath, before the peace, uh, Passover week, and this is a day that Jewish people would reflect upon what God has done for them. As he rescued them out of Egypt, he commanded his people to sacrifice the lamb and to take the blood from the lamb to put it on the doorposts of the house so that, the, that God would pass over that and not kill them. And that was the beginning of God 
bringing Israel, his people, out of Egypt. Amazing thing of God's provision and his care for his people. But here now we see that all of this, all of that, all of what we saw in the Old Testament was pointing to something even greater about the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ himself, the one that was prophesied in Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned and God said he will crush the head of the serpent is now coming into fruition, is now coming true, is now here. But the Jewish leaders had a problem with this because it is a day of preparation. It's a holy day. It's a sacred day. It is a day that they would use to prepare for this time of remembering God's faithfulness to his people. And the problem was this, is that they can't have dead people rotting on a tree. Crucifixion took days for people to die. A person being crucified could sit sometimes on the pole, on the, on the stump in the ground. There was often a, a, a shelf of some kind that was kind of on the mid-back there. And you could, if your hands were like this, you could kind of maybe lift yourself up and kind of put your bum on there and, and, and you could catch your breath. So it would prolong the agonizing pain. You know, you're, you're, you're in a conundrum if you were being crucified. Do I... You know, because suffocating is not fun. You know, do I lift my, myself up there so I can breathe? Just prolonging this agonizing pain because I've just been beaten. You know, there's laceration, gangrene is now setting in, and, but you're suffocating all at the same time. It could take two, three days in the Middle Eastern sun to actually die from this process. So the Jews had a problem. They didn't want the Sabbath to be defiled, to, to be made unclean again, but they have been actively defying the parts of the law the whole time. But for some reason, they are more concerned with this, and there's amazing irony. But in Deuteronomy 21, 23, it says, His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is, a cursed, is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. And this is why the Jewish leaders ask Pilate. They go to him and they say, Pilate, please make sure that these three guys that we've just crucified, make sure that they don't last very long. So the Romans accommodated this Jewish tradition. The Romans actually preferred to leave people hanging on a tree and letting their body decompose on that. They would take the bones off. It was a great reminder to everyone walking by about what happens if you defy the Roman government. But they would accommodate the Jewish traditions and they would take an iron club. Every soldier would have an iron club and he would take it and he would go and he would smack the legs of the people so that they can no longer lift themselves up onto that stool so they could breathe. Essentially, they would die from suffocation. But not a fast suffocation like drowning in water. A nice slow one where, you know, every breath becomes more laborious. Usually, they would let the body decay, but not this time. There's actually evidence of this. In 1969, or 68, so there was a skeleton of a crucified man that proved that Romans would break legs. He had broken legs. A few years ago, when I was in college, I had the blessing of, I'm going to call it a blessing, um, of going to Ottawa to see the uh, Museum of Civilization. They had the Dead Sea Scrolls there. And I went with my professor, which was ironic. It was just not ironic. It was funny because he would argue with the poor college student giving the tour. Um, but when we weren't there, 
you saw an example of a skeleton that had been crucified with the broken legs and even a nail that was still stuck in the foot. These things actually happened. John's not making this up. And he's trying to show us the costs of what is happening. To leave a body on the cross would have made the land unclean and all the Jewish leaders get together to commit murder and at the same time are very concerned with keeping the ceremonial law. And what was it that the Jewish leaders missed in this whole part? They missed what the Passover that they were seeking to celebrate was actually pointing to. Pointing to how God would provide a once-for-all lamb who would pay the price for his people's sin. And that man is Jesus Christ, who they crucified, who fulfills all of the requirements of the law perfectly in a way that they could never do, even though they're so concerned with following the law. Galatians 3.33 says, Jesus, or Christ, redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And Jesus is the one who fulfills the law. And when Jesus dies on the cross, he is removing that curse that the Bible is talking about, and he fulfills it. But as the soldiers are going around, as they're taking their iron clubs in verse 32, they go around and they take their big clubs and they start hacking away at people's legs, making sure that they're good and broken. One thief after another. Imagine that. The first guy gets his legs broken and you know that you're next. But when they came to Jesus in verse 33, a soldier goes around, he breaks all the legs of the other two and they come to Jesus and notice something about him. He's already dead. He's not alive, but he's dead. And we see that earlier. We saw that on Sunday when he gave up his spirit already. A voluntary act of sacrificial love for his people. And this is the first proof that Jesus has died. These are soldiers. These are are soldiers in the Roman army. These aren't some sort of guys who have never seen a dead body before. They understood what a dead body looked like. And when they look up at Jesus, they immediately recognize that there is no breath in him anymore. And therefore, there is no need to break his legs. And who better to give an account? As one person said, our salvation relies on this fact. That Jesus Christ died for our sins. That Jesus had to die. And it is at this moment that no one could say that Jesus just fainted or something like that. You know, if you faint, you can just put some of those uh, salt things, right? I see it all the time on my Instagram feed. I have, for some reason, I have all these workout videos. I don't know if they're telling me something. But sometimes if you lift too much, you faint. Or they give the salts before they go lift too much. And here the Romans understood they were a firsthand witness to this. The very people who crucified him see Jesus as dead. Do you see the cost? Do you see that John is trying to prove a point? That this wasn't just some sort of myth. This isn't just some sort of thing that is made up. Jesus actually died. And we forget that Jesus is both 100% God, but he's also 100% man. We call it the hypostatic union. That's what theology we call it. 
But this is no ordinary death. Because even the centurion noted as he saw Jesus die in Matthew 27, verse 54. Remember what we said last week, that the gospel is like a diamond. And the synoptic gospel gives us, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, give us different perspectives as to what is going on. And in Matthew 27, verse 54, we see when the centurion and those who were with him kept keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, What? Truly, this was the Son of God. We may think of this as a curse, just like the Jewish people did. You may think that, uh, that, the, that the Jews were just accomplishing some sort of political maneuvering, but God had a plan here. And even in, when the Jews and even Satan himself thought that they won, the name of God is declared. By pagan mouths, he is declared. In verse 34, we see how one of the soldiers comes along as they see that Jesus is, has, been, has, has already been died. They, they take their spear and they go up and they thrust it into his side. And here's the second proof that Jesus actually died. I don't know about you, but if I got thrust in the side with a knife or something, I'd know. Just saying. The soldiers made sure Jesus was dead as they thrusted the spear into his side. If Jesus had just fainted again, the stab would have definitely woken him up. And I was reflecting upon this. Uh, my opa, who is my great-grandfather. I know opa means grandfather for all those who are Dutch. But my, my opa, uh, he, he actually got recruited into fighting in the Russian Revolution when he was in Russia. My, my family is from Crimea. And, the, and, and he got wounded, and he was on this uh, hospital wagon because, you know, cars, you know, who had cars back then. Um, and as he was injured, all of these other injured soldiers were on this wagon. But what happened was the Cossacks came and caught up. And what they did was they actually took their swords on top of the wagon and started hacking away, and they were making sure people were dead. That's what soldiers did. And that's what the Romans are doing making sure Jesus is actually dead. They would go to those helpless and stab them away. As one person said, even the soldier's spear was guided by the Father's hand. None of this was left to chance. Every part of this is to show the costly atoning death of Jesus Christ. In verse 35, we see he who was was born, who he who was born witness. And John comes and he's declaring this truth. I have watched this. I have seen it with my own eyes. This is not some sort of thing that I heard so-and-so say, who heard it from so-and-so. I saw this actually happen. This is truth. This is not third-hand information. And all that has been written about Jesus and Jesus' death has been witnessed by John because, as we saw on Sunday, he's literally standing right there. He was at the high priest's home, and now he writes about it. Have you ever played that game telephone when you were kids? When you got in a circle and you know, the teacher would tell the one kid the story? or a sentence, and then the goal was to see how, well, hopefully get that same story all the way around. Did that ever win? I don't think I ever played that game where it actually was the same thing. That's not what's happening here. This is a first-hand information. 
John has said it. And John is saying that this is a personal account of what he saw. It's like he is saying, I saw for myself that none of Jesus' bones were broken. That Jesus fulfills the Passover, what the Passover points to. I saw the spear being thrusted into his side. I saw the blood and the water pouring out of his side as it dripped down the spear. Jesus did sacrifice himself. He did die. And I saw that blood flow. He is the fountain by sinners are plunged beneath. As the hymn says, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilty stains. And that you also may believe He says, believe what? That Jesus really died on the cross. That Jesus is the true sacrifice of sins. That Jesus Christ died for our sins. Paying the price. It is finished. It is done. And why is all this happening? As verses 36 and 37 says, that Jesus may fulfill two passages in the Old Testament. In Exodus 12, verse 46, is that first passage that he is quoting and John is declaring that Jesus is dying as a fulfillment of the Passover lamb. In, Ex- in Zechariah verse 12, that's the next quote. John is pointing to how Jesus represents the person here. Here, God's representative will be pierced in a battle, but at the moment, God's enemies are destroyed and the people are saved. And I am sure at this moment, when Jesus cried out, it is finished, He was in a conundrum because he thought he won. And then he had to be thinking, what's finished? What's done? You mean I didn't win? Oh, no, he didn't win. I bet there was a big gulp. In Zechariah, God's people mourn over the pierced king. But just as we see in Zechariah, we see here, as Jesus fulfills the Bible, victory has happened, and by Jesus' blood comes a cleansing from sin and uncleanliness. John wants you and I to see that Jesus, the one from David's line, he is the one who will judge the nations and deliver his people. That Jesus is the one who is the fountain of cleansing, The battle has been bought with blood. And Jesus is the Lamb of God whose death gives cleansing blood for his people. This is what we remember as we take part in communion. We remember the costly death, atoning death of Jesus Christ. How he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. As Jesus died on the cross... He is then buried, because that's what you do with people who are dead. In verses 38 to 42, we see the lamb is buried. And after these things, Jesus of Arimathea comes and he asks Pilate for the body of Jesus. I guess this is really a third proof that Jesus is dead, if you really think about it. But Joseph of Arimathea secretly was a disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jews. And I remember thinking so many times as I read this, oh man, what a coward. Right? Like, oh, can't be a secret disciple of Jesus. That's impossible. But here's the thing. When you look at this, he's the only one who goes and gets Jesus' body. 
the only one. Even Jesus' closest disciples have run. And he honors Jesus even though Jesus' disciples have ran away. And he takes a big risk in asking Pilate for this body. We've got to think of who Joseph is. Joseph was a rich man. He was a man with prominence. And he goes to Pilate and asks for the body of the person who is crucified. Who are the people that get crucified? They are the political dissidents. They're the creme of the creme of criminals. To ask for bodies to associate yourself with that person. Most of the time when someone was crucified on the cross, they would throw them in the garbage heap or in a mass grave of some kind. But here Joseph, who we can criticize for, is the only one who goes up to, G- goes up to Pilate and publicly does something that many didn't. And he sympathizes with this crucified man. And it's bigger when we put it in that historical context and view. As I was saying, this was an act of love done by Joseph. As he goes and he asks Pilate, Pilate, please, can I have this body of this man that you just had crucified? I'll take him down. As he climbs up on a step ladder and takes the bloody body of Jesus into his arms, I assume probably by himself, we don't have any indication in the text, the weight of a dead body. You can see the heart that he has for him. But even then, Joseph is not the only man. We get Nicodemus who comes back unseen. And he makes the same risk. And remember him back in, 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 in uh, chapter 3 when he comes to Jesus at night. And, and as Jesus told him in John 3, 8, the wind blows where it wa- wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. As Nicodemus struggled with this idea of how in the world can a man be born again? You remember that? When he's like, I can't go in back of my mom's womb. That would be weird. But Jesus says you have to be born again. You have to have a new heart. Now he's bringing this expensive ointment for this dead body. 75 pounds worth of this stuff. As one person puts it, now he brings a very expensive weight of precious ointments for the dead body of the crucified pretender whose contaminated reputation is radioactive and unstable and therefore deadly. But these two men did it. They took Jesus' body that had just been pierced because he's dead, and they wrapped him in linens as was the custom of Jewish burial customs, spreading the ointments and the spices amongst the linens and the body, and they place that dead body in the grave. This is important because there is no assumption in this text that Jesus will ever come back to life again. Why in the world would you do all of this stuff for someone who's coming back to life again? The disciples of Jesus thought it was done. They had no hope. For the disciples, this was a tragedy. That a man who did not deserve any of these things went through all this. They had consistently forgotten all of what Jesus had said through all of those three years they spent with him. 
So they took Jesus' body, his dead body, beaten, swollen, bruised, and they lay it in what they thought was that last spot in verses 41 to 42. As one person observed, it seems fitting that he is buried in a garden for his suffering death resulted originally from a transgression in a garden. Jesus did actually die. The Son of God, the long-awaited Messiah, second member of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, the long-promised Messiah, was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a sinless life. The last three years of that life were spent doing good and teaching people about God. He died. Fulfilling the will of his Father, he died. Jesus, both fully man and fully God was put to death on the Roman cross. He really did die to the point that when his body was taken down from the cross, it was buried in a Jewish tomb. This death of Jesus was not an accident. And that is the key thing to remember as we think about what do we do with this? Because all of this is written, as John says in John 20, verse 31, that you may believe Do you see the cost? Do you see why this is truly a good Friday? Because here's the main point. The costly atoning death of Jesus Christ brings forgiveness that is free for everyone who repents and trusts in him as Lord and Savior. Back in 17 verse 4 of John, Jesus looked forward to this time and what would be accomplished on the cross. He has said that that work is now done in verse 30. And when Jesus dies on the cross, he completes the mission that his Father gave him to accomplish. And Jesus makes atonement for our sins. What atonement means, means that he paid the price for our sin. Treason that has that his people did against God. And his death on the cross is the only way anyone can have forgiveness of that sin. And it's free because it's been paid for. In John 1, 29, John the Baptist proclaimed as he saw Jesus walking towards him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist proclaims what all the Passover lambs of the Old Testament pointed to. Jesus fulfills all the Old Testaments. It is only in him that we can have forgiveness. The price has been paid. He is the Lamb of God, and that price was high. This is the one whom Isaiah 2 and Micah 4 prophesied of. This is the one that Genesis 3 spoke of that would crush the head of the snake. This is the one that fulfills all of it. It is by his atoning death that we have forgiveness of our sins. And this is the one that the Bible speaks about in John's vision in Revelation 5, 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. As chapter 5 continues on in Revelation, and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, 
from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have been and you've made them a kingdom a priesthood to our God that they shall reign on the earth if you ever wonder why we sing is he worthy by Andrew Peterson it's right there in the text it is Jesus' sacrifice that takes away the sins of the world. It is Jesus' unique, once-for-all sacrifice that makes atonement and a payment for God's people, for all who repent and believe. What do you see when you look at Jesus? Because many people would look at this accounts of John and how he's so specific and, and, and purposeful in declaring that Jesus actually did die. Recently, our government had a wonderful bill called Bill C-4 that actually called the things that we believe a myth. It's not a myth. This happened. This is true. It is not made up. John wants you to know that he did die. He is the Christ who was born to bring salvation, whose blood cleanses his people. It is by his blood that you are covered and no other sacrifice remains. The price has been paid in full. So what is your response? What are you going to do with this? I think the first one should be rest. Why do we keep living our lives like we think we can do something more to win favor with God? You can't make atonement for yourself. The price was too high. Jesus has done that. Are you resting in Jesus' finished work? Do you believe in the gospel that Christ died for our sins? I think the next thing is go out. To declare the costly atoning death of Jesus Christ and that forgiveness is free for all who repent and trust in him because Jesus paid it all all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. It is only by the costly atoning death of Jesus Christ, bring, that Jesus Christ that brings forgiveness that is free for everyone who repents and trusts in him as Lord and Savior. But how do we know that the price that Jesus paid is enough? As I said at the beginning, we leave here somewhat solemn. We even come here somewhat solemn. Like, it's like this awkward thing. Are we allowed to laugh on Good Friday? How, you know, this seems like it's quite the tragedy. Wow, there's really not a lot of hope here. Jesus is dead. He kind of went into the tomb. Wow, this is the guy you guys worship? And I will say to you, I've got a bit of a spoiler. This isn't the end. This story isn't a tragedy. As we look to Easter, actually, when we look at genres of writing, it's a comedy. Why is it a comedy? Not like a ha-ha comedy. Comedies have happy endings. It's not humorous, but in the truest sense of the comedy, there is a happy ending. Jesus lays in the tomb right now. But he doesn't stay there. Easter is around the corner. And join us this Sunday as we see how the price was paid in full and God gave the big giant stamp of approval when he rose his son from the grave. The gospel doesn't end with Jesus dying for our sins because he lives. But for today, we leave in awe of the costly atoning death of Jesus Christ that brings forgiveness that is free 
for everyone who repents and trusts in him as Lord and Savior. Today, we sing about a fountain that comes from Emmanuel's veins. Let us continue to worship our God together. Father, we thank you for the reminder from your word of the cost that you paid for us, your ransomed people. Lord, that should cause an overflowing feeling within us, something that bubbles over as we interact with other people. This gives us a hope that can never be taken away. So Lord, I pray that as we leave this place today that we would reflect upon why Good Friday is a good Friday. Because you've paid the price. And you offer forgiveness for all those who repent and believe. Let us worship you today.